Good morning. Does anyone out there like puzzles? Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together without the box top? All right, without looking at the picture. I'm going to give you a puzzle, and let's see if you can put it together. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. Talking to Abraham, God says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Have you figured it out yet? Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. The blood shall be a sign for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one for me who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Last one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Did you get it? What is the picture that has been painted for us through these passages of Scripture? Who are these passages pointing us to? It's Jesus, right? But we've cheated. See, we've seen the box top, haven't we? We, we have the New Testament ourselves. The Israelites... At the time of Christ, in the book of Acts, they had no concept at this time of how these pieces fit together and what the final picture was actually supposed to look like. Their cultural idea of the Messiah was a conquering hero who vanquished the Roman enemy and ruled mightily over the kingdom of Israel, who, who reestablished that kingdom. 
They had the Old Testament. They understood the sacrificial system, their need for a sacrifice for their sins. They witnessed the miraculous signs of Jesus. But they they had taken certain pieces out of the box, and they put them together, and they left out what they didn't think could possibly fit. And their Messiah ended up looking a little bit different from what was actually in the box. In our passage today, Peter begins to put all the pieces together for them. What what may seem like separate circumstances and, and different unengaged things actually fit together to show God's salvation plan at work. It shows them that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ and Lord, and, and he brings them to the point of conviction and an opportunity for salvation. Go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Acts chapter 2 comes right after Acts chapter 1. Start at verse 14. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set on his, 
set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of all... Of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So did you see what Peter was doing there? Let's go about all the way back to verse 12. Remember, this is uh, the, the Spirit was poured out upon the disciples. They went outside, and they were just sharing the magnificent works of God in every tongue that the Spirit had given them the ability to speak, down to the regional dialects. And in verse 12 it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. See, Peter takes their curiosity and their questioning and their wonder and even their, their mocking comments. And, and he takes their, their situation and their questions and he, he says, he, he points them to God's sovereign plan of salvation. He points them to God's sovereign plan of salvation. And he points them to Jesus as the cornerstone of that plan of salvation bringing them before their own culpability and conviction of their sin and putting on display an opportunity for salvation. He uses their curiosity and commentary to to turn the conversation to Jesus Christ. And this is a skill that we all need to get involved in. We all need to learn this skill. How, How can I bring Jesus into this conversation? How can I, I let somebody share and, and, and spend time listening carefully to what they have to say and then talk about what Christ has done in my life in a similar time, a similar situation, or maybe I can share the testimony of somebody else I know. Bring Jesus into the conversation, praying for their trial, praying for them, whatever they're sharing with us. 
So having heard these people out, having heard all their comments, both curious and, and mocking, Peter says, but, verse 16, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. You may think this, but let me show you what's actually going on here. Let me put some of the puzzle pieces together here for you. You've heard the prophecies. You've seen the miraculous. You, you've understood your need for a Savior. And what, what Peter shows them is that God has a long-standing plan of salvation for mankind. And everything they're experienced, everything they're experiencing now, everything they are seeing, this is a part of God's salvation plan, his sovereign salvation plan at work. This is not our cleverness or design. It's not something they're doing. They aren't drunk. This is no trick. They really are speaking all these different languages because of the Spirit of God out of nowhere. This is all God's. It's God's salvation plan. Verse 17, And in the last days it shall be, God declares. These aren't his words. These aren't Peter's words. These aren't our words that we share with other people. These are God's words. God declares it. It's not mine. Read it for yourself. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works that God did through him. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This is God's plan. This is things that God was in control of. God knew that the crucifixion was going to happen. It didn't shock him or surprise him. Oh man, what am I going to do now? No, God knew. This is all God's plan. Verse 24. God raised him up. Verse 30. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. Verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up. Verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus. See, God has a sovereign plan that he is working out from that first messianic prophecy that we read earlier in Genesis 3.15 all the way to here where we're seeing Joel's prophecy actually played out right before all these people as the Spirit is poured out upon men and women, all those who belong to Christ. Even going on past this point, all the way to the eternal state that we read about in the book of Revelation at the very, very end of the book. There's no way that I could be putting this together. I wasn't alive 6,000 years ago, 8,000 years ago to write that prophecy in Genesis. 
We weren't here. We couldn't be possibly putting this all together. This isn't a publicity stunt or the work of man. It's, it's not something we devised. This is God's. And, and knowing that this is all God's sovereign plan, everything that he has spoken to us of, knowing this big picture of God's salvation plan has several benefits for us as his church, as his people. When we see what God is doing, we can take an amount of confidence in what we have been called to. See, when we realize that this isn't my doing, this isn't our doing, this isn't your doing, we, we don't need to make the gospel any better or more attractive than it already is. We do not save people. That is not our mission. God did not say to us, go out and save the souls of men, causing them or or coercing them by any means possible to accept the salvation that is in Jesus. He didn't say that because when we do that, we end up with things like, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, if you count persecution, wonderful and or, or you're going to prosper on this earth with all kinds of earthly goods if you come to Jesus because we need to make the gospel more attractive to coerce people to come to Christ. And that is not a part of God's plan. It is not dependent upon me. It's our job to lovingly give the whole truth to people. It is our mission to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth, Chapter 1, verse 8 said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. That is our mission. That is what we've been given to do. That's it. If you share Jesus Christ, his death in our place for our sins... His resurrection for our hope and eternal life, our justification, our need to accept him as our Savior and Lord. You have succeeded in all that God has given you to do, all that he has called you to do. And if people do not accept it, take confidence. It is no offense to you. It is no offense to me. And we so easily get hurt as we, we go out and we try and share the gospel with people and we get offended or upset when they don't accept it because our fear and our pride and our ego get all involved in the salvation message of God, the work of God. And I have to remember, the plans of God do not fall upon me. When I share the gospel message of Jesus Christ, God is the one who saves people. Verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let's jump ahead a little bit to verse 47. Uh, This is for next week, but praising God and having favor with all the people. That's, That's Never mind that. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who added to their number? 
the Lord added to their number. This is his sovereign salvation plan at work. Take confidence, Christian. You can freely share the gospel. God's the one who saves. And this this big picture of God's salvation plan reminds us that he's still at work today. We are filling the gap. Jesus ascended, and he left the disciples in the church here to share the gospel until he returns in the same way. He has not returned in the same way yet. So he is still working today. We have not reached the end of the book of Revelation yet. Jesus has not returned in the same way yet. We are still here to fill the gap. It's his plan. And we are a part of that plan. He expects us to be involved in that plan. And as we see this overarching plan of God's salvation throughout history, it should should remind us, too, of the urgency of the task that has been given to us as God's people, as God's church. Verse 17, the prophet Joel, as Peter quotes from him, he says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that he would pour out his spirit. 2,000 years ago, give or take, was the last days. Did you catch that? 2,000 years ago were the last days beginning. Any day. Any day Jesus Christ could descend on the clouds and take us up to be with him. Where does that leave all the people in our lives that need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Leaves them here in the tribulation, doesn't it? It leaves them here for verse 20, the day of the Lord. All these wonderful things that Joel prophesied about. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes. And that great, magnificent day is also great and magnificent in the most horrible ways. For the judgment and the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth for the sinfulness of mankind. There's an urgency to our task Verse 40, Peter realizes that urgency, and he tells them, repent, be baptized, right? Oh, verse 40, it says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Do it now. Today's the day of salvation, right? We haven't reached the end of Revelation yet. However, when we get there, it will be too late. Knowing God's sovereign plan of salvation reminds us of the importance of sharing Jesus Christ in our soil finding that list of of 6 to 12 people that need him in your life. And you're the one who touches their life regularly. You know the salvation in Jesus Christ. This is what he has called us to. Sharing the gospel message of the kingdom of God. Salvation in Christ alone through faith alone. To the ends of the earth in his spirit's power, so that he can reconcile to himself a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Peter says to them, look at how the events of your lifetime and the prophecies and circumstances all come together in Jesus Christ. He shows them that this is the overarching plan of God, and he brings together what they have experienced— 
with the truth of God's word so that they would begin to see that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of God's plan of salvation. Jesus is the Lord and the Christ that they were hoping for and greater than they could ever imagine. Look at the evidence before you, he says. How many witnesses were required to prove something true? Two to three, right? And and here he, he just lays out before them the prophecies witness. All creation at one point witnesses. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ witnesses. The miraculous witnesses that Jesus Christ is the source of salvation that they have been waiting for. The prophecies are fulfilled that Joel declared, starting in verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." The outpouring of that Holy Spirit, he says, you guys are seeing it right here, right now, before your eyes. This prophecy is fulfilled. Joel proclaimed that there would be wonders in the heavens and on the earth below, verse 19. Well, Matthew chapter 27 says, and behold... The curtain of the temple was torn in two. This is at the, at the crucifixion of Christ. From top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. Truly, this was the Son of God, he said. The veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the temple, it was torn from top to bottom. And it's described in early Jewish tradition to have been a hand breadth thick of woven material. And according to scripture, it was 40 cubits high. That's about 60 feet high. As if the very hand of God grabbed the top of that curtain and rendered it from top to bottom. There was no man that could have reached up there that could have possibly torn through four inches of woven material. There was a great earthquake at the crucifixion. There was the witness of the dead as they rose up and went into the town and and witnessed to people. These events were so great and so obvious that a Roman centurion, a pagan, looked upon it all and said, Surely this man was a son of God. He recognized the significance of everything going on. Verse 20, where we read Joel's prophecy, the sun would be turned to darkness. At the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Luke 23, verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour, that's noon. The sun's at its highest point. 
It's the brightest part of the day. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, there's people who like to say, oh, that was probably a, uh, one of those total solar eclipses, right? How many of you saw the most recent solar eclipse? How long did it last? A few minutes. Didn't last three hours of total darkness, did it? All creation groaned on that day. Then there's the witness of David. Verse 24, see, God raised him, Jesus, up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with all confidence, David died and his tomb is here with us today. See, David, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was attested to that that Jesus would be risen from the dead. And David adds to that that Jesus would be seated at the right hand of God. He would indeed be the Lord, David's own Lord, God himself. And you guys, Peter's saying, you guys have been witnesses to this very thing, to the resurrection. You have seen how Jesus was raised because death in the grave could not hold him. According to Scripture, verse 29, Peter says to them, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. You guys have seen it. According to eyewitnesses and physical evidence. You see, David, I can say with all confidence, he's dead. He's buried. Go to his tomb. Who was he talking about then? Who then was David talking about? He was talking about Jesus. 500 people at once saw Jesus alive. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All the disciples saw him alive. The tomb is empty. Go look for yourselves, Peter's saying to them, by saying David's tomb is here. David is in it. You can see that today. Go look at Jesus' tomb. It's empty. Nobody came up with a body. And you know the Pharisees were searching. They wanted some proof. They found none. That's a witness. Then there are the mighty works and wonders that God did through Jesus. Men of Israel, verse 22. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You yourselves have seen the blind receive sight. You have seen the lame walk. You have seen the the dumb be able to speak, the mute be able to speak with their tongues. And this, again, fulfills prophecy. 
Isaiah 35, 3 through 6, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and with the recompense of God. He, God, will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is the prophecies that you have seen fulfilled right before your eyes. You know what has been done. Look at how it lines up with Scripture. Perhaps... In verse 40, it says to us, that, And with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Perhaps in those many other words, Peter brought before them Isaiah 53. I don't have time, but I really want us to go look at Isaiah 53. And it prophesies the crucifixion, the desecration of the Savior. The crucifixion was sovereignly under God's control and part of the plan for us to see long before it happened because God foreknew it. It was all part of his plan. And don't forget the quote we read from Psalm 22 earlier, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it vividly describes Jesus hanging there on, on the cross as he can feel and count every one of his bones on that cross. Peter is saying to them, do you see what a clear picture of Jesus you get when you put together the things you've experienced with the truth of God's own word? Peter is reconciling the truth of God's word with all that they have witnessed, known of God, and experienced to show them their need, not just for a Savior, but for Jesus as the Christ, as the Lord, as the Savior. Let all the house of Israel, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Look at how all these prophecies, all these circumstances come together in Jesus. We have a book. We have a book written over a period of about 1,600 years. It's got 40 different authors, 66 different books, and they all come together astonishingly without contradiction, pointing to the person and works of Jesus Christ. How did God bring you to faith? Think back on it. How did, what, what circumstances of life did God use to convict and to convince you? How did you begin to reconcile God's word with your life experiences? What people, trials, truths, convictions did he, he use to bring together the puzzle pieces in your mind, in your heart? See, our community, outside these walls, our, our culture, our soil, is in the same predicament, the same position as Israel was so many years ago. They have the pieces. They wonder at the violence in Las Vegas. How can somebody go and do this to people he doesn't even know? 
They still haven't figured out what his reason was, as far as I know. Scripture describes this as the depth of sin in men's hearts. They are curious. They are confused and haunted by things like the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall of a building. They have the pieces. They have no idea how it goes together. They don't want those Ten Commandments in the courtroom. Everybody's life is a puzzle. And they're trying desperately to reconcile what they have experienced in life with what should be and what the future holds for them. They are seeking peace with God through philosophy, through Eastern mysticism, even through atheism. They want to have peace with God by convincing themselves that that God isn't. I am my own God. I'm only responsible to myself in an attempt to come to grips with their sinful desires in a sinful world with fallenness all around them, knowing, meanwhile, in their hearts that there is something more. That's the world out there. While we do not cause or coerce salvation, we can and should be those who bring the puzzle pieces together for those in our soil. We, we can and should be those who fill the gap, taking a, a, a life trial or situation and showing them how God fits in that picture, helping them to recognize their desperate need for a Savior, bringing God's Word and life together. Because when people can see the reality of God's Word fitting neatly with the reality of life, then they will be prepared to accept the conviction that comes along with that reality. Verse 37, Now when they had heard this, when they had seen how neatly God's word fit together with their experiences and what they had seen and known, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, Peter, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? After making this connection for them, Peter reminds them. In verse 23, he says to them, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. You see how neatly God fits with your life? Guess what? You crucified him. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. See, in order to fully comprehend that the gospel is good news, we have to first understand the bad news of our sinfulness. We need to understand the depth of it, the damnation that comes with it, the separation from God that happens in our lives. Look at the evidence before you and understand why Jesus went to the cross. We may not have physically been there, but it was my own sin that took Christ to the cross. took my Savior there, but my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes we may give someone a couple of pieces to put together. We may just plant a seed or two. When the world has questions, let us not forget that we hold the answers for them. And if we don't have the answer for a particular question right away, remind them, you have a source, and you can go, and you can find out the answer. And if you don't find it in God's word yourself, find another believer. Talk to them. Get the answer and say, I'll get back to you. Other times we may see those seeds spring to new life in Christ. Let's pray that here at Alden Union, we would see revival as we 
take the gospel out into our soil. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. See, we won't stand before God as we give an account of our lives and say, well, so-and-so did this and that, and I was kind of waiting for that person to do this. That isn't what he's looking for. He's saying, you give me your account. We need to be those who connect life with the truth of God's word, all supported by the gospel, helping people to understand the bad news so that they can receive the good news, not just living curious lives that are different from the world, but, but putting the puzzle together for them to see, because it's not until we get to verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Once that gospel message is laid out there, what they needed to do to receive Christ, that is when we see 3,000 souls come to faith. They were out there being curious, living lives that were different. They put the puzzle pieces of God's word together with what they had seen, but it wasn't until that gospel message was shared that 3,000 souls come to faith in Jesus Christ. Is there somebody in your life that needs Jesus Christ? Is there anyone here who has not yet received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Understand that God's word does connect with life as we know it. It explains to us why there is evil in this world, why we endure trials, hard things. There there is more than enough evidence that Jesus is Lord. Understand that our sin requires a price. The wages of sin is death. Uh, that God seeks the same justice that we seek when we sing, see things like what happened in Las Vegas. But God will get his justice one way or another. Jesus died for you. Jesus died in our place. And he rose again for your hope and justification for our holy God and creator. He rose again, and if you would receive him as your Savior and Lord, you too can be reconciled to God to receive that eternal life in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your word given to us. We give it to you. We give to you this worship service. We give to you our lives. Lord, fill us with your spirit and move amongst us, we pray. Father God, we give it all to you. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.